0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration
1: Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy, we're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So I loved having my middle guy back for school over spring break. Aww, yeah, nice. we did some suit shopping and oh, it was fun. nice to get to spend some time with him. But how was your spring break? It was good. I was on that tour, yes, uh, educational tour, very Lucy with,
0: um, For the high school, we went to France and Spain. So it was fun. It was very busy and very cold. <laughs>
1: Dang it, wore it. I wore
0: wore the same puffer coat every day, bundled up. It was fun. Well, good. Yeah. I heard about these two nonprofits, Solidarity and Avalon Village in Highland Park. It's a neighborhood in Detroit, Michigan. Highland Park had seen more prosperous days. It was once home to the Ford Automotive plant. In 2011, the city... Repossessed over a thousand streetlights from Highland Park neighborhood, leaving the people in the neighborhood literally in the dark. How do you repossess? Well, up? this was due to financial issues. They just
1: couldn't keep the lights. Yeah, on. The,
0: the city of Detroit had a debt of like fifty eight million. Um, oh my goodness! And. The, the population has been dwindling over the past 20 years, too, and there's just less jobs. Mm-hmm. So they're faced with a $4 million electric bill. Oh, my
1: goodness.
0: And so the city opted to remove the streetlights to help settle this debt. And this impacted the residents greatly. No evening, like, outdoor communities. Kids couldn't play outside. There's no gatherings. And it really made for unsafe conditions. So what do they do? The people of Highland Park chose to save money. With a do it yourself energy project. I'm just blown away by this. They raised money and installed solar powered streetlights. That's oh. the play on names like soul and solar mm-hmm. powered streetlights, which is so awesome. And better for the environment. Totally. This was, they formed it in 2012 by founder uh, Shamikia. Nichols, and so solar power is the answer to lighting needs of this community. She believes Highland Park can serve as a national model for community scale clean energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first solar power streetlight was installed in front of a longtime resident, Mama Shoe, ha- Mama Shoe's house, which had special meaning because Mama Shoe lost her two-year-old son Jacoby in 2007 from a hit and run. Mm. And um, after that tragedy, she focused her energy to rebuild the neighborhood and make it a safer place. And then this past January, she lost her older son, 23-year-old Chin Le Yu. Uh, He was murdered while he was kind of keeping watch on the neighborhood. So it's amazing. This didn't break her. And as she puts it, it she turned her pain into power. She started advocating to build this Avalon Village. It's a nonprofit that that regentrifies the neighborhood. They're creating this village. Um, one of the buildings is a homework house, which will help provide a pl- after-school program for children in the neighborhood to come do their homework. They also have this goddess marketplace in the works where uh, local women, artisans can, you know, have a place to sell their mm-hmm. goods. There's more plans for additional buildings. It's just so awesome. These two nonprofits, Solidarity, now Avalon Village, are creating a legacy of innovation, and as well as equitable energy and economic system, really for all, and shedding light on the inequities, you know, and yeah. providing really creative solutions. And what I love most is it's two women. Yeah, both are the women starting this program. I just was kind of like, so the women, and I love that they're doing the craft thing with women, with That's women. it's awesome. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Kind of inspired by March, Women's Month. Yeah, so, very cool. Yeah. So last month, March, is Women's History Month. And the person who came to mind was Maya Angelou. Some describe her as a redwood with deep roots in American culture. Hillary Clinton is quoted saying, She urged, demanded, inspired millions of Americans to live kinder, braver, more honorable lives. I love that. I do, too. I was like, oh, yeah. She truly is an icon. A poet, a writer, an actor, activist, dancer. I didn't know she was an actor. Yeah, okay. (laughs) She's pretty much done it all. Yeah, sounds like it. With such grit and grace. I'm just blown away by her. I watched American Masters, uh, Maya Angelou, I Still Rise, which won a
1: Peabody Award. What Um, is that on? I've never heard of that. A Peabody Award? Well, the American Masters. I... It was, I think, a
0: PBS. Oh, okay.
1: But I just, I, lo- I
0: hadn't heard her voice. I just love her voice. It's just so, it penetrates a soul. It's so mm-hmm, deep calming. and smoky and mm-hmm. just powerful. It's perfect for storytelling. So enough about me gushing about her. <laughs> Maya was born Marguerite Annie Johnson in 1928 oh. in St. Louis. See, I'm, I'm so excited Missouri. to learn about her because I, oh,
1: I just know so little. So. Yeah. Marguerite. I was too. Hmm. Uh, uh, her
0: brother, Bailey, couldn't pronounce her name, so he called her Maya Sister. Aww. And so she became Maya, and it stuck. That's cute. Her parents had a tumultuous marriage and divorce when she, Maya was three. Her parents sent her and her brother, Bailey, to go live with their grandmother in Stamps, Arkansas. Maya was three and her brother was four. They had a note pinned to them and were sent out by train, and the porter, train mm. porters helped them you know transfer trains uh, it was it was tough. Maya in her mind declared her mother dad. Uh, she just
1: had a terrible feeling of rejection. Well how could you not? yeah I mean so little. I mean I put the little notes on my kids when they were little in Disneyland in case they got oh, lost for sure yeah but this is yeah takes us that to a whole new level I yeah can't imagine.
0: Their grandmother owned the first black-owned general store in Stamps, and they lived in the back of the store. Their grandmother was known as Mama. She instilled good manners and involvement in the church. Her uncle Willie taught them their times tables, and Maya quickly got nicknamed the little professor. that's cute. She talks about the Ku Klux Klan riding down the hill into town and seeing them from the window and the fear and hiding Uncle Willie in the cellar. Hmm. She said she'd never seen such big horses and big guns. During this time, Maya
1: dreamed about if she could just say the word Shazam and be wise. I didn't know that word was that old. Yeah. Um, I thought it only came around recently with the comic. Yeah. <laughs> but that just speaks to her
0: experience and her heart. Um warning this next part isn't easy isn't really for little ears and it's not an easy topic when she was seven she and Bailey moved to where her mother was living in St. Louis Uh, this was a horrific time for Maya her mother's boyfriend raped her Maya told her brother what happened and shortly afterwards the man died and in Maya's seven-year-old brain she thought she caused the death so she didn't speak for five years oh my goodness she had a sweet lady, uh, Bertha, who would invite Maya over for cookies and lemonade, and she'd read poetry to Maya. She said one time to Maya, You won't like poetry unless you speak it. And that really spurred her on. And she read all the books from both the black and white school libraries. I mean, devoured them. She memorized poems, sonnets, and plays. So when she did decide to speak, she had a lot to say.
1: Uh, Not 19- pent up, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Five a lot. years.
0: In 1941, Maya and her brother moved with their mother to San Francisco. She became involved with dance and drama. She began writing poetry and short stories. It's kind of interesting. She took time off to work as... She was the first um, African-American cable car conductor at 15. Oh, my in San goodness. Francisco. So, kind of a cool little yeah. fun fact. Um, and then after six months of that, she decided to return to school. At 16, Maya became pregnant. Her mother never you know made her feel guilty or ashamed, which you know was kind of interesting uncommon, and, uncommon yeah, for the time yeah. but her mom asked if she loved the man and basically said let's not ruin three three people's lives so maya worked as a waitress to support her son so God. she didn't love the man she didn't love the man okay, she it was a kind of yeah, yeah. and she just she began re- writing and reading books in her spare time um Probably didn't have a whole lot of spare She time. didn't have a whole spare time. Uh, in 1950, while working at a music store, she met Tosh Angelos. Um, they quickly got married, but it didn't last. But that's where she got her last name. She changed the S to a U, and oh. that's where she got Angelos. Uh, she began working as a calypso dancer.
1: And what on earth is a calypso dancer?
0: Calypso dancing is rooted in African and Caribbean. It's storytelling through dancing. Oh, okay. Never heard of that before. But she she was quite a presence. I didn't realize she was six feet tall. Oh. So she's not So I'm learning so many things about Angela. Her performances became big news with long lines of people to to see her show. Her son Guy was in elementary school, and he would hear pretty hateful comments from classmates about her mother wearing African clothes and her natural hair. Mm. They would say, your mama's lost from Africa. And he would punch them. Maya would tell him not to worry. You come from kings and queens. And it was a really painful time for both of them. Later that in 1950, Maya heard that Porgy and Bess was looking for a dancer, so she auditioned and accepted
1: a role. We watched. Uh, Have you seen a, that? Yeah, i not in seen grade that. school. Oh, okay. So, yeah. My, my music teacher in grade school was definitely ahead of her time. That's because awesome. I, we watched that when I was in elementary school. She, well, this made her. She traveled all over the world,
0: which. Was hard, super hard, because she was away from her son. Mm-hmm. After that, you know, that tour, she promised that she would, in the future, she would, he would come with her if she traveled. So, throughout the years, Maya had, you know, written poems in a journal. She knew she wanted to be a writer. So, she, while living in Los Angeles, uh, she met John Oliver Killens, a famous writer from New York. He read some of Maya's poems and encouraged her to move to New York to join a writer's group called the Harlem Writers Guild, which he co-founded. She and Guy moved to New York. And in the summer of 1960, there's this awakening of, of freedom. Mm-hmm. And Maya and a friend, Godfrey Cambridge, an actor and comedian, went to listen to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak at a church in Harlem. She was enthralled by his message of nonviolence and said, and, and, and he said, we can change the world. This struck a chord in Maya and Maya and Godfrey decided to put on a show, Cabaret for Freedom, to raise money for Dr. King's group, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, also known as the SCLC. That is so cool. That I know. They did that. I know. The the SCLC worked toward gaining civil rights for black people in America. The cabaret for freedom was a huge success and they raised nine thousand dollars. Wow. For nineteen sixty, that's, that's a lot huge, of money. Yeah. The SCLC asked Maya to become the regional coordinator, so she accepted the role, and she would often take her son along with her to attend protests. She taught him the love of justice, of doing Mm -hmm. what's right. She told him, if you have something to protect, you need to be on the streets. I love that. And one time, Guy said, he was in this series, they interviewed him, and it was really touching. He said that the Mounted Police stomped and they were trampling protesters on the streets, many of them, protesters, like, moved out of the way. Maya used a hairpin that she kind of pulled (laughs) out of her purse, and she poked one of the police uh, sergeants' horse. He fell off, and then the protesters resumed resumed the march. And talk about a harrowing moment. Guy said he had never (laughs) seen such courage. Really amazing. That same year, she met a South African man, Vizumi, or Vu, who fought for uh, the black people in South Africa. He was a brilliant man, and Maya just loved smart men. I mean, mm-hmm. she's really drawn to them. And he described her as being tall and clear-eyed. You know, he asked Maya to move to Cairo, and shortly after they were married, and, of course, Guy went too, uh, while in Cairo, Maya wrote for newspapers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And sadly, unfortunately, their marriage didn't last, and I think she's just a super independent woman. Yeah. And that just, I Maybe think,
1: strong will,
0: strong will. But Guy, um, they stayed, and he finished high school, and he wanted to attend the University of Ghana in West Africa. So Maya and and Guy moved to Ghana, and they just felt like they immediately belonged. Ghana was the first African country in the region to break free from the U.K. By 1962, Ghana's black people were being treated equally, unlike the United States and other countries in the world. While in Ghana, Maya uh, met with Malcolm X. African Americans were drawn to him, and they would gather around just to hear him speak. He made an attempt to get international support um, for a UN investigation of human rights violations of African
1: Americans mm-hmm. in the U.S., which was unsuccessful. I'm curious what why it was unsuccessful. Did it just he just get buried, didn't get or? support? No.
0: When he returned to New York, he wrote uh, a letter to Maya back in Ghana asking her if she'd consider coming back to New York and working for a group he founded, the Organization of Afro-American Unity, or the OAAU. But sadly, on February 21st, 1965, uh, Malcolm X was killed while speaking for the OAAU. Maya was deeply saddened. Instead of moving back to New York, she visited her brother in Hawaii and worked for six months there as a nightclub singer. She, this woman could do everything. She could do everything. I think she was very, yeah, she was just very, you know, flexible, Mm -hmm. you know, with her. She, She eventually moved back to New York, focusing on her writing, and reconnected with the Harlem Writers Guild. Uh, one night she went to hear Dr. King speak at Carnegie Hall. Afterwards, she met with him and he asked her to travel around the country and ask churches to help support his cause. Of course, she said yes. Uh, sadly, just a few days before she was supposed to start working for Dr. King, um, he was shot and killed um, on April 4th, 1968, which also happened to be Maya's 40th birthday. Mm. I mean, so Maya was devastated yeah. and she wouldn't leave her apartment for weeks. A dear friend of hers, James Baldwin from the Harlem Writers Guild, you know, helped Mai with her sadness. He and his friends encouraged her to write her own story. Uh, and even her editor, Robert Loomis uh, from Random House, was also encouraging her and kept calling her, you know, months to write her autobiography. She was busy at the time, she was working on a series, Africanism, still current in the U.S. for PBS. But mm. after many calls, Robert finally said to her, while well, it's impossible to write an, an autobiography. And that is exactly what Maya needed to hear. <laughs> she said, well, in that case, she will do it. It's just, I think it just speaks to her. Yeah, I just love that. So she wrote a first autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Uh, Maya wrote her own life story and stories of how she survived so much pain and sorrow. The title uh, came from, from a poem, Sympathy, by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. The poem was about a bird in a cage that wanted its freedom. And Maya felt like that bird in a cage, too. She wanted to be free from the cage, you know, of abuse Mm -hmm. and racism, poverty, cruelty. Uh, The book was published in 1969. And initially, sales were slow. But, of course, it turned out to be a landmark book. And Mm -hmm. she had no idea how beloved she would be. Shortly after that, she published her first collection of poems, Just Give Me a Cool Drink Before I Die. The 38 poems, like Harlem Hopscotch, addresses the hardships Black children face. It was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize in 1972. That same year, Maya became the first African-American woman to have her own screenplay, Georgia, Mm. and she produced the movie. The story is about a young Black woman who falls in love with a white man. And Maya not only wrote the screenplay, she also wrote the music. Oh, my gosh. She's so talented. (laughs) And then the following year, she starred in a Broadway play, Look Away, and was nominated for Tony. I mean, Maya was living this life of a famous author, you know, writing 16 hours a day, traveling all over the world. And then while she was in London, she met Paul DeFoe, a British writer and cartoonist. And they fell in love, and they moved to Sonoma, California, Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me like of an HDTV, but they they would write and they enjoyed buying and fixing up homes together. Mm. Kind of before the time it was yeah. something to do. And then they, in could, ne- have they could have had a reality series. They could have had a reality series. And then in 1977, Maya landed a role in the miniseries Roots, a show about the history of American slavery. And this is the first time the world would learn about the injustice and in, inhumanity of slavery in America. I mean, just right there on your yeah, I television.
1: Remember. Parents had that on.
0: Yeah, she received an Emmy nomination, rather, uh, for playing Naya Bodo. And then the following year, Maya published another book of poems, And I Still Rise. It's probably the most well-known poem. Sadly, Maya and Paul's marriage didn't last and they divorced in 1981. Maya began giving speeches and reading her poems at universities across the United States. Um, She spread the message of peace and unity. Maya accepted a position at Wake University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina as a professor of American Studies. You know, Maya hadn't gone to college, she but she taught history and poetry and she had a lot of life experience to yeah, teach. Yeah, but you don't hear
1: Her about students, that. Her students, yeah. Uh,
0: and as she would say, "I'm not a writer who teaches, I'm a teacher who writes." Hmm. So over the next 30 years, she continued to write and give speeches and spoke about the importance of forgiveness. And the strength of the human spirit. In 1993, President Clinton reached out to Maya to write an inauguratory poem. President Clinton couldn't think of a better person to write the poem because they both have Arkansas roots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was born in Hope, Arkansas, about 20 miles from Stamps, Arkansas, where Maya grew up. And interestingly, Clinton's grandfather ran a general store in a predominantly black neighborhood. And he could relate to what Maya wrote about in her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Maya was honored and wrote her poem, On the Pulse of the Morning, which she read at the inauguration of President Bill Clinton. Maya wrote over 200 handwritten mm. pages, even though she finally, the final poem was 67 words. The last time a poem was read at inauguration was 30 Years prior by Robert Frost. I guess as she spoke, you could feel the mood just change in the crowd. Everyone's listening. It was truly wonderful. It was inclusive and understandable. Mm. Pl- uh, President Clinton said it was such a gift to America. My, over the years, became you know, friends with Oprah. I remember hearing about her, too, on Oprah. Mm. Yeah, as she appeared many times on her show, they called each other mother-sister friends. Aww. And Maya wrote a poem, Amazing Peace, a, P- a Christmas poem for President uh, George W. Bush, which she read The Tree light Lighting Ceremony at the White House. Uh, in 2010, President uh, Barack Obama presented her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest non-military award a mil- non-military person can receive, which is really, really cool. Impressive. Yeah. And then on May twenty eighth, two thousand fourteen, Maya Angelou died in her home in North Carolina at eighty six, due to kind of heart related Mm -hmm. ailments. She's Mm -hmm. been was kind of suffering. Well, she lived a A lot. Good, she lived a lot lot of lives in that eighty six years for sure. Two thousand fifteen, the U.S. Postal Service honored uh, Maya with her own stamp with a quote: "A bird doesn't sing because it has an answer; it sings because it has a song." I love that. I just love learning about this amazing woman and her. I just admire her vulnerability and bravery to write about the painful childhood experiences in her autobiography. I admire her strength and unrelenting push for social justice. She's probably one of the most quoted
1: mm-hmm, I
0: think. Uh, people. And but let's face it, her quotes are often the most profound. And. Her ability to use words to describe and draw the reader into a story is truly an incredible gift. And most of all, her writing really encourages all of us to be better versions of ourselves. You just, you can't help but walk away
1: and go, how can I I be better? Amazing
0: lady. Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other
1: virtue consistently. Maya Angelou. who's listened to our podcast for even a few episodes probably knows that we love books oh yeah I mean I are constantly reading I can't (laughs) even I I can't even (laughs) tell you how many books I have in boxes out in the garage that are on my to read list my dad calls it my library but my kids laugh when I pull out boxes of books for people to peruse saying I should have my own lending library but it's totally okay with me I think I would be an amazing librarian as I like to talk books. Yeah. Maybe not so much with the technology side of stuff, but I would definitely love helping people find books to read and love. Pia Aliande grew up in Santiago, Chile. When she was a young girl, she loved books. But the libraries in Santiago were poorly stocked, and the books were considered to be extravagant. Pia's father was a lawyer who highly prized education and reading, and on Sundays he would read to the family. Sometimes it was books he bought, sometimes it was books he borrowed, and sometimes it was books that he made with cardboard covers telling stories he remembered as a child, or sometimes even making up stories. How cool is that? I know. I love that too. We should do that. That's cute. That. These, these Sunday readings were a treat and started Pia on a lifelong love of books and stories. Pia especially loved history and thought of history as a story, not just a recital of events and dates. She attended high school and university in Chile and after college decided she wanted to visit the United States. She applied for a Fulbright scholarship and was allowed to go to New York as an exchange student. In 1990, she started studying history at Stony Brook University. While the move was difficult being so far from her family and her home, Pia loved New York and the big city life. She met another transplant to the U.S., her future husband, who came to New York from Spain
0: oh. by
1: the way of the farmland of Montana. Wow. So, newly married and a child on the way, Pia and her husband moved back to Pia's childhood home of Chile to be closer to her family. Eventually, Pia was able to get a job at a private school and they moved to a small town south of Santiago. Despite her love for Chile, Pia really wanted to raise her children in the United States. After getting work visas, Pia and her family... Moved to Arlington, Virginia, where she was an interpreter for a school and would advocate for Latino families in the school district. She also went back to school to get her master's degree in library science. She loved helping the Latino community, but the long commute to work kept her children in daycare, you know, oh, for too much hard. of a day. So she started looking for other jobs and eventually found a job as a library specialist at Redmond High School in Redmond, Oregon. Oh, wow. In 2006. Very cool. Yeah. Not too far. From, I mean, a few hours. But yeah, closer than, uh, than Arlington. Arlington yeah. Yeah. She fell in love with being a librarian and believed she had found her true calling. Unfortunately, only a few years later, the housing crisis hit the United States and Redmond was hit hard as a community, leading to layoffs. Fortunately, Pia was able to find a job as a head librarian at an international school in Spain. So her family moved to Seville, and they lived in Spain for a decade, allowing her husband to share his country with their children, leading, you know, to all the children being bilingual. That's so awesome. Pia promoted modernization of the library system in Spain and led workshops for librarians all around the world. Oh, that's cool. Super. I mean, this family's just awesome. When Pia's children finally, um, when they finished high school in Spain, they moved back to Redmond, Oregon, and Pia found a job working as a library technician at a local elementary school. The um, school had a higher Latino population with many of the children coming from poor families. The library materials were outdated and not very representative of the Latino community. They didn't represent the Latino community. Pia learned that many of the other schools in the area also faced similar challenges. You know the area over there. It's not, it's... The average publication year for books in the school district libraries was 1998, and for one school, the average publication date for the books in the library was 1989. Oh, so, yeah. big difference. Not long after she started her new job, the pandemic hit, and the schools went to remote learning for most of 2020-2021. She wanted to help struggling students and made weekly videos for children to help you know, keep them engaged yeah. in learning. She got the necessary programs to allow students to have access to digital materials and bilingual videos. She worked on programs to reach out to the Latino children to help them learn about their countries, their families, where they came from, and, you know, things about their culture that matter. Pia, working with no budget, applied for grants and received $25,000 in funds to help the libraries in the district. She raised another $2,500 by completing a 347-mile fundraising bike pack race. pack race? Uh, um, bike. Okay. Bike got, race. Gotcha. Just before her 60th birthday. Oh, that's so awesome. She said, what I do is my passion. I put a lot of energy into it because I believe in it. Aww. Which this woman I'm just so impressed with. Pia is a member of the Redmond School District Equity Task Force and is a co-chair of the Oregon Library Association's Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Anti-Racism Task Force. That is a mouthful. That is so awesome. She's also been named the Redmond District Librarian. She's raised thousands of dollars to buy new books that celebrate diversity and illuminate the different cultural experiences of people in marginalized communities. Not only is she bringing in more books and materials that are representative of different cultures. She's also helping remove outdated materials that perpetuate racial stereotypes, which wow, needs to be done. Yeah. She said, I want to have books that represent them, not misrepresent them, Pia says, of books celebrating different cultures. At a time where other libraries are pulling books that celebrate other races, genders, and sexual identity off the shelves, Pia Allende is moving to promote more of those very same books. I do wanna say that I struggle with pulling books off the library shelves. While I have no issue with adding books to increase diversity and inclusion for everyone, I think there needs to be a lot of discussion before books get pulled from the shelves. Censorship, even of offensive ideals, can be a slippery slope. Wow. Pia says that her goal is to provide students with the option to explore stories from different backgrounds and cultures. She wants storytelling to help students understand each other and people from different backgrounds, which I I, I think I she got that, that from her dad. Yeah. But we all need to do more right. of this. Right. All of her efforts have led to her being one of the three librarians in the United States nominated for School Librarian of the Year by the School Library Journal. Oh, that's so cool. Kia Allende quotes a book written by her friend and mentor when she wants to motivate her students to share their stories. Everyone has a story to tell, and if you don't write it, it doesn't exist. Ah. Oh. So I also need to point out, i got to give my mother-in-law, Barbara, a shout-out because she sent this story to oh, me. Oh, that's so um, awesome. You know, they live in Sun River, so yeah. obviously this was uh, part of the Ben Bulletin.
0: Awesome story. Awesome story. story. I yes. love it. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive, and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Maya Angelou. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com.
1: Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.